0: Hello there, space fans, and welcome to a new episode of the Supercluster podcast. This is Robin. Today we have Supercluster's own Cape Canaveral photographer, John Krause, one of our team of photographers that has been doing a massive amount of coverage recently. We are just off of the historic SpaceX Crew Dragon DM2 mission which John was one of the photographers shooting. We also had Eric Kuna and Pauline Acklin out there, as well as myself doing stuff with my phone. Thank you very much. I didn't have a camera, but John and I experienced some pretty cool things during that mission. We're here to talk about the fact that John just passed a hundred launches since beginning his spaceflight photography career. And we're gonna talk about some of those stats And look at the industry through the context of these 100 launches at Cape Canaveral and and other places. Welcome back to the show, John. It's nice to have you. Hey, thank you for having me. I know that we've been busy working on DM2. Where uh, Then there was another
1: launch, literally. We blinked and there was another launch. It was crazy. Right.
0: Now, funny enough, everyone knows Chris Gebhardt is also on our team as a contributor and he helps out with our launch tracker. And I think it was the couple of days after DM2 got a notification on the Supercluster launch tracker app, which I haven't installed on my Google Pixel. And it said Starlink launch in twenty four hours. Yeah. And I it immediately made me exhausted.
1: Again. Yeah, there there wasn't much turnaround and as fun as this stuff is, it really is it's time. more exhausting <laughs> to cover than it may seem yeah. when you just view our coverage. Because right. you know, if a launch is at like 4 p.m. or 3:30 p.m., like Demo Two, we're out there hours before that. Right. You know what? What seems say there's a morning launch at 10 a.m. Well, we're getting there at five or six a.m. And it, it gets worse the earlier in the morning you go, and it gets to a point where you're almost just staying up all night. So. Right. So covering this stuff is exhausting, but it's it's equally rewarding, and I think we saw that with Demo Two. Just to see Bob and Doug get into orbit safely and make it to the station, you know, that kind of superseded all of our coverage. You know, it, it was about that mission, and it was just okay. so great to see them, see them make it to orbit.
0: Let's go back, and before we talk about your hundred launches, let's talk about DM Two and the whole circus of events that went around that launch. Let's start way back with the fact that we are still in this pandemic and everything when it came to the media and the setup and the activities at Kennedy Space Center revolved around the fact that we're in this pandemic. It limited the amount of media, it limited the opportunities to take photos, it limited a million different things. But John, why don't you tell us from your perspective What the setup was like and you know what went down
1: yeah so it was it was an unfortunate but understandable set of circumstances with demo two because it's such a huge mission you know you have this ideal in your head of how you want it to go and you think you're going to get all this great access and great shots to get all these you know new angles and new coverage because it's the first time we've seen crew launch from the cape there's so many sort of new aspects of it but right you know the pandemic kind of just limited our access and i actually it was as you know a lot of logistical circumstances but i ended up right. not being badged through KSC for this mission. Right. Jim Williams of the 45th Space Wing over at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station was very kind in hosting a set of media that KSC could not accommodate. So right. there were a lot of media members that were kind of stuck without access for this mission but the the Air Force kind of came in and and granted us access to a A viewing area on the Cape side that was actually, it was a little farther than the press site, but it was a great unobstructed view. It really was a good angle. And at the end of the day, we still got to have a great seat to a historic launch. And I was still able to get some stuff I'm really happy with.
0: Right. And obviously, as everyone knows, that first launch window did not, there was no launch. Oh no. And we were out there for a pretty long time. And that day, it was just really tiring. And we all knew it was not launching that day.
1: It yeah, was I, pretty, think, I think we all consensus. pretty much knew.
0: Yeah. yeah, it was a pretty wide consensus. We were all really surprised that the president flew in because yeah. we were almost certain that it was going to be scrubbed for the day. And
1: yeah,
0: yeah, and he flew in, and and it was scrubbed, and then we came back on three Saturday days later.
1: Morning. Yeah, right. Three days which later, which I think. I think that's an interesting dynamic that we don't see often because we're so used to Scrubs being a one day turnaround, maybe two, that there was this kind of weird limbo of like, at least for me, like, what do we do? Because our entire lives have been surrounding Demo 2 and then, but it it was, I will say it was nice to have more than a six hour break of, you know, going home, going to bed and waking up and doing it again. Yeah.
0: I, I enjoyed it. It yeah. was definitely needed because of all the work we had to do. Yeah. So that was great. And Saturday was also looking very suspect.
1: Yeah. before It was Ultimate pretty similar. Yeah. yeah. And I have to be honest, I did not think it was going to go same until around the time they committed to fueling. Once they, they committed to fueling, I was pretty confident that, okay, they must see a gap. And then I think Somewhere around that time, give or take 10 minutes, they said weather went up to 70% go. Mm-hmm. And then where I was, it started clearing. And I was pretty confident that barring some last second lightning strike or last second technical issue, I was confident they were going to go. But until I saw it ignite, it was just
0: yeah, anxiety and at.
1: anxiety of waiting. Yeah,
0: Oh, uh, It was crazy. So that first day that it scrubbed, I was out there on the grass right by the countdown clock and the American flag. And I... Before the launch and the final hour of Countdown, I completely missed Doug Hurley and Bob Benkin being driven in the Tesla. Oh, you missed market. that? I missed it because I was a little bit further away and I didn't uh-huh. get a warning. I was doing a bunch of live shots with a couple of different news stations and a couple of organizations that were doing live streams because not many people were at Kennedy. So yeah. I was trying to help out folks with their live streams and doing remote, you know, remote correspondence from Kennedy Space Center. So I was doing as many of those as possible. And I was not watching the live stream like everyone else. So I missed them driving by.
1: I saw some photos and video of where, like, our fellow press members got to watch that happen, watch astronauts drive by. Yeah, And And I was was amazed at how close they were able to get. I mean, they were right along the road. And some people got some great pictures and video of that, which I think was cool because I think only three or four media photographers were invited to cover the crew walkout. So I'm happy that at least some of the colleagues we know were able to see the, the drive-by, at least.
0: Yeah, and because of the positioning of the road, there was actually two moments where you could get a real close-up drive-by. Oh, yeah? And I know that on the mound where our colleagues like Emory and the Florida Today team and you know Orlando Sentinel, they, they're they on the mound at the press site. Yeah. I think from their position, there was a really good drive-by spot because I saw... Brendan Byrne, he had a photo or video where Doug is waving at him, which is really cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And so anyway, on the second day, I was with my buddy Daniel Oberhaus, who also is a contributor to Supercluster. He came down from New York City. It was me, him, our buddy Craig and Amy and a couple other folks that we know. Craig had came down from Chicago. And Chris Gebhardt was doing a live stream for NASA spaceflight just a few feet away from us. So we were hanging out and then James Gleason, SpaceX comms director, comes over and waves myself and Amy over to him. And he walks us over to the street or the roadway where Doug and Bob came driving by and Doug also waved at us. It was awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it was a really cool moment. I got it on video, and I was able to post it. So yeah, I'm kind of glad I did uh, for the second day because I got to see that really cool moment. Yeah, I think the, really
1: exciting. One of the harder things for this mission for me with my coverage, I haven't talked about this publicly yet, but because of the the access that I didn't have through KSC, I actually couldn't set remote cameras for this mission. Right. Which was disappointing, but and we tried the, everything. Let's just oh, put that trust out. Trust us, there. We, we tried. tried it. That. We tried if everything. If you can think of a permutation through whatever entity <laughs> yeah. or situation, we tried it. But yeah. even more disappointing, and I guess this is this kind of speaks to the pandemic. And given that astronauts do quarantine before launch anyway, I didn't really get to photograph the astronauts before the launch. I did get to see them and photograph them. In January at the in-flight abort mission, but right. you know, I didn't get to shoot the walkout, I didn't get to shoot anything like that, which was disappointing. But, you know, it's just kind of we were you know, slave I'm, to I'm the grateful circumstances. For, grateful for what I got, at least.
0: Okay, and let's talk about that because obviously we did our mission coverage, our launch our liftoff photos, you did a great streak photo. You're you're in flight, like that photo was really popular and it was pretty epic. But let's talk about after launch. Because even though you were with the 45th, Jim was able to get some of you guys over to the Vehicle Assembly Building for the post-launch speeches. Now, listen to this setup. It was planned for a couple of days before. President Trump was going to give a post-launch celebratory speech inside the Vehicle Assembly Building. The Vehicle Assembly Building is that huge monumental single-story structure you see at Kennedy with the huge meatball and the
1: American flag on it.
0: It's a really iconic historic thing.
1: Hard to miss it for sure. Hard to miss,
0: yeah. So they set it up in there. And for the week before liftoff, we've been coordinating with various KSC White House press people getting us batched for this particular event. And well, and obviously it didn't happen on Saturday. Um, it didn't happen mm-hmm. on Wednesday, but ended up happening on Saturday yeah. after the second launch attempt. So, John, how did you guys even get in there? Because like Jim set it up for yeah. you guys to be bust over right after liftoff.
1: Yeah, I had no clue that I was going to be able to attend that until I think maybe two days out. I think right after the the scrub, Jim started organizing to allow the people that didn't get in at KSC but got into the Air Force side to be able to attend that. So we, at like T plus three minutes, had to throw all our gear into our cars and then caravan across the Air Force station to the Kennedy side mm-hmm. to then get bused to the, the vehicle assembly building. It definitely was great to attend that because, you know, Elon was there and I got some great celebratory Elon shots of him. Yeah, you know, check checking out, and celebrating.
0: If you're listening, check out the Supercluster Instagram or John's Instagram. There's some really cool celebratory moments with Elon. And he brought his mom, his brother, and his sister to the Mm -hmm. launch, which is really cool to see.
1: Yeah. And having those images from that speech and press conference in my kind of final gallery of demo Two really sort of rounded out the coverage instead of just having shots from five miles and nothing else. It really did kind of add variety to my, to my coverage at least.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it ended up being a really special for Supercluster to post those photos too. And we actually just posted a gallery on our website. If you're listening to this. Yeah. Crew Dragon, yeah. Crew Dragon and photos. It's John Pauline and Eric stuff from the mission. So fun story when you were being bused within three minutes of liftoff. Yeah. So I had this really um, emotional moment. Now, p- if the pandemic was not a thing, There'd be 400, 500 journalists at the press. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't have anywhere to walk or move or, or do anything.
1: No, it would have been insane.
0: Yeah, but given the circumstances, there was no one on the grass near the clock, which is insane. It was just me yeah. and a couple other people. And a lot of the Kennedy Space Center staff came coming out, you know, 10 minutes before launch, they came out into the lawn. Astronaut Leland Melvin came out. It was really cool to see a couple of people out there getting really stoked for the liftoff. But when liftoff happened, you know, I was out there and my one of my good friends, Daniel, like I said, was there. We, you know, gave each other a celebratory look because we couldn't like hug each other or anything. Yeah. But it was a really great moment and really emotional. And then I walked away from the grass and the countdown clock and someone came up to me. And handed me a White House press pass. It said, yeah. it said, it said "Actually, White House press, press pool, pool, right?" Yeah. And I've been issued one of these few years ago when I did cover my in an Obama speech. I think it was in Orlando with Joey Roulette, and we got uh-huh. one of those. It Is was it so funny. Design? This launch, this launch happened, and like you know, it's a it was a big moment for you know spaceflight reporters like yeah. myself who've been covering this for like the last five years. And then immediately be handed a White House press badge. Mm -hmm. She was really nice. She said, here is your press pool badge. Please head over to that bus in the next two minutes. And I was like, oh, my God. So here we go. So we get in there. And obviously the area for the press is really tiny. And there's a family family and friends area. I sat down with a couple of photographer friends. I didn't have a camera, so they were going to boot me to the writers section, which is behind Oof. the photographers that can't see anything. So yeah. I was like, "Hey guys, let me hold one of your cameras." So because I was, I had a really cool lens that I attached to my Google Pixel Four, which you know really, I had a really great handheld video of the launch, and taking photos with that lens was really great. And I was like, "I don't need a camera when you know." You guys are out there doing your thing. I didn't have to have yeah. a camera. So I did want to sit with the photographers, though, so I can get an up-close view of Elon and, and whoever else was going to be speaking, like Jim Bridenstine. They came clearing out all the you know writers who were stuck there. And I held a camera, so they left me alone. And then more camera people showed up, and especially your group showed up yeah. from the 45th. And there was just no room. So one of the KSC employees came up to me and said, hey, there's a couple of open spots with the family and friends. And I was like, say no more. And I just left yeah. the press area and no one came with me. So it was just the only media sitting down there.
1: Yeah, I was remember. Kind of funny. Yeah, it was packed up there in those stands. It really Social was. Social distancing was <laughs> yes. no longer for that it was no longer 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: It and was no a no little really concerning. No one had any masks or anything. So oh, I made one sure one to wear we mine. Was, mine. Yeah, Trust me. Yours, I had mine, but <laughs> most people were not so – you know no it's funny cuz no one talks about that during the mission like the fact that we threw out the covid rules the imme- immediately after the rocket lifted off
1: yeah for like I, i'm trying to i'm trying to take it seriously as i can because i don't think there's any negative that can come out of taking it too seriously but if right. you don't wear a mask and you get sick and bad things happen i mean that's the downside so yeah yeah, yeah exactly you know, so i'm just anyway. going to be as safe as i can
0: Right, and it will still continue to be as we do coverage. Now, obviously, so DM2 happened. It was awesome. Our photographers and contributors and everyone continued to work because folks have to work. John and Eric continued to do coverage. And an unfortunate timing is that John's 100th launch was the Starlink launch after DM2. Yeah. Because so DM2 would have been your 100th launch. Yeah, if there's the a um,
1: happened before, split. right? Yeah, which it was to supposed to. And right. as you know, there's some other permutations that could have happened that we'll just pretend we're not going to go into. But right. demo two, let's just say could have been the 100th launch, which as arbitrary as it is, it would have been kind of cool. Yeah. But it was also cool that I kind of got to approach the Starlink launch entirely focused on it being the 100th rather than it being like an afterthought of the crew getting safely. Right. orbit would it have been demo two i didn't really do anything special in terms of photography for this hundred mission but it was definitely on my mind the whole time there's just so many things i can say to that because i've only been doing this a little over five years and to hit a hundred launches in that short of time i guess speaks to the industry as a whole but also you know me really focusing on making this a full-time profession so right. you know that's so an let's... average of what 20 20 a year yeah roughly
0: which is insane, because yeah. five years ago, around the same time I got my start, rocket launchers are all, were not happening that much.
1: No, not really. I mean, not I think we a, both yeah, really jumped yeah. into this at the perfect time.
0: Right. And I remember, like, five years ago, for SpaceX to launch, like, ten times in a year, that was
1: work. That yeah, was that, not, was that was unprecedented. Right, that
0: was unprecedented. And, and, uh, I remember
1: when people would talk about, like, six weeks being a huge turnaround at a pad, Right so Now it's like, what, a week and a half sometimes yeah. we see? Two right. weeks?
0: It's crazy. Now, John, you put together this chart, which kind of lays out the numbers here of your 100 yeah. mission.
1: So, I let, let me talk set the about, stage real yeah, quick ahead. as to how that chart came to be. So somewhere around my, I think, 70th or 80th launch, I was like, wow, I've done a lot of these, but I hadn't been keeping track of how many. So I went through my galleries, my internal photo catalogs. And I also referenced, you know, official resources of what launches there were. And I tracked everything and then I had a counter going. And then once I hit 100, I put that notes document basically into a spreadsheet in Apple numbers. And I filled in things like the date, whether or not it was day or night and all these cool statistics. And I was able to kind of look at this data and make some cool assumptions about it.
0: And Yeah, and like I said, it's kind of a snapshot of the space industry in the last five years. So I'm looking through this data now, and you covered 10 launches in 2015, Mm -hmm. 17 launches in 2016, 19 the year after, 22 the year after. That is a a steady progression.
1: Yeah. That shows a
0: steady progression of launches primarily at Cape Canaveral. Yeah let's talk about the one-offs you did overseas now
1: one more thing on the numbers i think it's important to state that while these generally reflect the growth of the industry keep in mind that in 2015 i did miss a few launches at the cape and then later on i also traveled to other launch sites so it does look like a bigger disparity but keep in mind that this purely reflects my sort of journey so to speak as a photographer
0: Oh, and one number here, John, it says 2020 and PACE for 2020. So you currently Mm -hmm. have 12 launches under your belt for this year? Yep. And you think that you're going to top off at 28.
1: That's actually math-based. So I took the number of days in the year versus Mm -hmm. the number of the days in the year so far, and then did some math and extrapolated that to 28.4 launches, which is pretty cool. I don't know if I'll hit that, but we'll see.
0: We're going to have to talk to Chris Gebhardt about how many launches are going to happen before the end of the year at Cape Canaveral. He was telling me something the other day, and it looks like we're in for – it could be a record year. It could be. I think so. I think so. So it's looking like it, which is pretty amazing. Okay. So you've done – so let me look at – obviously, the top launch pads here are the ones we're talking about all the time. So Mm -hmm. Slick 40, Space Launch Complex 40 – that is SpaceX's Cape Canaveral Air Force Station launch pad. It's the yes. launch pad that was blown up before the amo Six mission on the launch pad, destroying the launch pad.
1: Mm-hmm. The so, second and, most, and with that, actually, it's impressive that there was downtime at that pad for over a year. Yet it's still the leading pad yeah. in my in my photography That's at thirty-seven crazy. launches. Yeah, and
0: and the second most is is eleven behind. Slick 41 mm-hmm. with 26 launches, and that's ULA's Atlas pad. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they that's 11 behind SpaceX's pad 40 for yeah. you.
1: And a lot of my early on launches were Atlas launches. I think, I mean, I don't huh. have these numbers off the top of my head, but something mm-hmm. like 80% of my first 10 or 15 or something like that were Atlas launches.
0: Now, third place is Launch Complex 39A, which I believe... SpaceX began using February
1: 2017. Yep, CRS-10.
0: Yeah, CRS-10. That was another launch, John, that scrubbed on one, the first day when the weather was perfect and then launched on the worst weather day where yeah. we saw nothing. Yeah. I remember I was on top of the VAB with Daniel, and the first day, weather was so clear and, and crystal clear, and it scrubbed. And then the second day, we got maybe 15
1: seconds of footage. Yeah, I was at Jetty Park for that one. It was pretty rough. It was really
0: rough. It was Vandenberg
1: level. Very close to Vandenberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) So, All right. So after the top three launch pads, these three launch pads are the most active launch pads in the world right now, by far. Mm -hmm. You also have Slick 37B,
1: which Mm -hmm. is the Delta pad, right? Yes. And maybe a controversial statement, but I think it's my favorite pad at the Cape for photography.
0: I have to, okay, so I want to say it's my favorite pad of ULAs, which I've only worked two of them, but it's the pad, like, when I first became a space journalist, like, a few years back, we were able to drive our car right up to the damn rocket,
1: basically. Oh, yeah. We get, like, we get, right get 150, 200 feet from it. John, do you we're remember, like, four it.
0: years ago when you and I were just, like, posing by the Delta Heavy? We were just yeah. at the foot of it, which was crazy. Yeah. It's wild. We were able to park our cars anywhere around the the launch pad to set up our cameras. And it was just like a really cool thing to do to be that close to the Delta because it's humongous.
1: Great variety in angles and different types of photography you can do.
0: I remember ULA used to give out these giant magnets that you put on the side of your car to make it official. Yeah, Yeah, that was really cool. Okay, so 37B. And I'm going to go down the list a little bit here to the Ariane 5 pad, mm-hmm. because I think the last time we had you on the show to talk about you know your photography, we mentioned the Ariane 5 pad, but we didn't really talk about it. So like, how did that whole thing go down?
1: Yeah, so fellow launch photographer Trevor Malman and I were sort of hosted by the European Space Agency and Ariane group to travel to French Guiana to photograph an Ariane 5 mission in November of last year. And that launch complex is really cool. And we got really great access in that we could set cameras literally on top of the flame trench looking down at the rocket. So I've only shot one from there. I hope to shoot more from there in the future, but that has to be in my short list of incredible launch memories. We have the
0: James Webb Space Telescope mission coming up, hopefully soon. And I think that'll be Supercluster's first french guiana mission because that mission is launching from there and obviously we want to be there and i think for i think it'll be the biggest mission launching from there in a long time for and, sure uh, and the launch pad's going to get a lot of attention and it'll be fun to see and nerve-wracking as hell
1: yeah to watch huge, james huge mission, yeah
0: yeah and one mission where like we can't lose that payload
1: <laughs> no i mean so much has to go right
0: Right. So,
1: but I'm I'm right. thankful I've been to that pad already and have the kind of experience of the locations and angles and whatnot.
0: Yeah, because most of us going down there, it'll be our first time, like mm-hmm. my like myself. So yeah, it'll be an interesting learning process for many of us that are used to covering big mission flagship missions at Cape Canaveral. All right. So we have a little list here. It's it's, it's labeled spaceport. So you have 95 of your 100 launches is from Cape Canaveral. Which you know that yep. sounds right, yeah. You have two from Wallops. Now those are mm-hmm. both. What what launches were those?
1: Those are both Northrop Grumman and Tari's launches to resupply mm-hmm. the International Space Station. Nice. Both and those last was, yeah, year, Cygnus,
0: right? Mm-hmm. I mainly covered Cygnus. One day flew on Atlas, mm-hmm. because before Northrop bought Orbital ATK, Orbital ATK suffered a mishap with their Antares, and they were grounded for a long time. So Cygnus had to fly on Atlas during that long time. Which I think
1: time. is a great testament to ULA for being able to accommodate yeah. that so quickly. Right. Those
0: are great missions to work. We used to suit up and visit with Cygnus in the
1: clean room before liftoff, which was really great. Still never done a clean room event. Really? That's really yeah, surprising. It's, it's just one of those things, just and credential-wise, I just haven't done yet.
0: We recently learned because, and this completely slipped my mind, that we missed the JPL clean room visit with the Mars Perseverance rover. Yeah, it was supposed to be a clean room visit at Kennedy, but because of COVID and whatever, they Sounds already, right. yeah, I think that's all. Like, I think the it's been encapsulated already. There's not going to be another clean room, and that's that. So yeah. We missed out on that one, too, sadly. Okay, so you have, like I said, 95 at Cape Canaveral, two at Wallops, two at Vandenberg. Can I assume those are Iridium launches?
1: Neither of them were, actually. Really? At- yes. So they're both Atlas? No, 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 no. So one was a Falcon launching Salcom 1A. Oh, And the other, okay. one, the other one was the final Delta II launch. Right. Okay, I yeah. forgot you went over there for that. Yeah, it was worth it, for sure. I actually... So the Delta II launch, I never saw the launch vehicle. Um, (laughs) I remember
0: those photos. When we set up
1: remote cameras, it was still kind of encapsulated by the tower. And then I watched from a public location going for a different kind of photo, and I got fogged out. But my remote cameras caught the launch. So my remotes got the launch, but I never saw it. Well, that's Vandenberg for you. Yep. Makes me scared to go back, but one day.
0: (laughs) So you have your list out here by provider, and I think- Wait, we got one more
1: pad. We got one more pad. We talked about this one, French French Guiana. No, at the bottom, the air launch.
0: Oh, you do have a Pegasus air launch.
1: So I only count this launch as a launch photograph, and this may sound plainfully obvious, but because I saw it. I guess these Pegasus launches are typically really hard to see, but there is a nighttime air launch- Thirty thousand feet or whatever into the air, very far off the Florida coast, and I managed to get a faint little photo of it going through the sky. So I count that. Wow!
0: And but, yeah. you know, we're, for our launch tracker, we're trying to figure out like, okay, is the launch happening from the Mojave Airport or is it happening from the air? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, and I it's think weird. The, the, I... the notion is probably going to be the airplane is the launch pad. Kind of. Yeah. It's a mobile yeah. launch pad. That's the that's the thing. So yeah, it, it's kind of a new thing we have to figure out, especially with virgin orbit.
1: Yeah. For uh, this, I up. do consider it a Cape Canaveral launch just because it took off from the Cape and it was still pretty close to the Cape when it happened. Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so moving on to provider, and I think these numbers are pretty obvious. I think these are the top line numbers that we're always talking about in the industry. For your hundred launches, sixty of them were SpaceX.
1: Mm Thirty-four
0: was ULA, four was Northrop, one was Orbital ATK, and one was the French Guiana Ariane group.
1: Yeah, and there's one asterisk.
0: That is a snapshot of the industry.
1: There's one asterisk on that, so I do count the Orion ascent abort two test as a Northrop Grumman mission because they provided the vehicle that the launch vehicle. Yeah, Yeah. so it, it was sort of provider vehicle provider. Some yeah. could argue like that's an Air Force Net- or NASA mission almost, but I did just huh. count it as Northrop.
0: No, they're the launch provider because it was on their projectile. So True, true. I remember that launch. It was pretty amazing. A lot of folks went to Jetty Park. You, your photo was pretty epic. I remember. My favorite your photo fo-
1: last year. Yeah, of the
0: Orion just midair on its way down, right?
1: No, the, the one I'm talking about is a wide-angle shot I did with the sun and a lifeguard stand and the beach. Oh, yeah, and some yeah, birds. yeah, yeah. But I did get some cool ones of the of the capsule and whatnot.
0: I wasn't covering that mission,
1: but I was swimming
0: with manatees right by, the right there. So I saw the launch. It was a really, really great thing to see. But it's funny that you, you labeled that provider as Northrop Grumman rather than NASA or something.
1: Yeah, it just felt right. Yeah, some people would label that a NASA launch, though. Yeah, I actually did ask around some folks that we know, and most people said Northrop would be the best choice, so
0: yeah no that's smart one big some of the bigger ones here obviously this recently changed you have a crude section
1: on i ninety nine
0: and crude one yeah
1: obviously, that was kind of easier. just facetious but i thought yeah. it was kind of cool to well to that was that my out. first that
0: was my first crew launch too
1: so. was it the first one you ever saw or first one you covered
0: oh that's true so when i when i was younger I'd watch shuttle launches from like you know not like up close, but I, I would see shuttle launches. I would, yeah, would want to say like maybe seen three and four off in the distance, but I would ne- but as a reporter or someone who had to cover these missions, that was my first.
1: Yeah, same. I grew up watching shuttle launches because I've lived here my whole life on the Space Coast. So, right, actually covering a crew launch is a lot different than watching it from you know thirty miles away. So, yeah,
0: it's it's something else and. And John, I, I'm really terrible right now. I don't have this date pulled up, but we're looking at the end of the year for the next one,
1: right? Yeah, sometime, I think late August, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we're yeah.
1: looking, I don't know if it's that soon, but
0: I know that these these crew dates will never mean anything until a couple months out. So we're-
1: so do, we a week looking, out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're only, we're looking at another crew launch before the end of the year. That's safe to say. Yeah. Uh, flown on a SpaceX vehicle. And yeah, we'll be back at it. I'm hoping that the next crew launch could be normal and meaning that full media access, everyone gets a shot, everyone gets, we can do remotes, we can take photos of the astronauts. I'm hoping for some normalcy.
1: I think it'll be a lot closer to normal. I don't know how close to normal we will get, but I think it will feel more natural for a lot of us. Yeah.
0: Okay, so looking at this document again, which if you're listening to this podcast, pull up this document. We're just going to share it on Twitter where we share this podcast and it'll be available on John's channels as well. But some other fun things on this list that I thought was pretty cool that John mapped out here. The most common days of the month. Very arbitrary, but kind of cool. Very arbitrary. And actually, John, oh yeah, and I was going to get to this, but so the sixth day of the month, The 15th day of the month and the 18th day of the month are the most common days launch happens in terms of your photography. With seven. With seven each. And days of the week, the most common day of launch was Friday with 18. The second most common day was Wednesday with and Thursday. Thursday. tied, Mm -hmm. Tied with Thursday, 16 apiece. Then tie for third was Sunday and Monday at 14 piece. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that Friday is the number one day.
1: Yeah, and I obviously can't speak in any official capacity in terms of scheduling, but I would almost guess that's because maybe launches are typically scheduled for weekdays and mm-hmm. then they have a little bit of cushion to where if it scrubs a few days, they end up going on a Friday before the weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's enough of a sample size to draw that conclusion, but it is kind of cool that, I guess sort of the best day of the week, Friday has the most launches, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I prefer having a Friday launch. That way I could sleep in on Saturday. Yeah. Because like and then said, one other, really, you
1: said know, earlier, they're so exhausting. <laughs> yeah. You know? And one other thing that the day of the month chart shows, I've actually never shot a launch on the 13th. That's good. Let's yeah. avoid that. Yeah. Let's avoid that.
0: I wanted to bring up the most important category here or, well, that's funny because the most important category is titled category. (laughs) We're looking at the types of launches. Now, it's listed down commercial, military, space station, weather, solar system. But let me explain what commercial means. Commercial is a private company hiring another company to launch their product, right? Mm -hmm. Is that a good way of putting it? Yeah. So your number one type of launch listed here is commercial at 38. Mm-hmm. Now, an example of that is SES satellite, or COM. Yeah. a sat- satellite sat- provider, yeah, launching Ang- their, their satellite on a Falcon 9 rocket or yeah. on a ULA rocket.
1: But mm-hmm. right. I count Starlink as that too, obviously. So eight yeah, of those Yeah, because are SpaceX
0: Starlink. is its own customer there, especially the way I'm hearing the company is being sort of separate from SpaceX in a way going to be its own business so it'll be like one sec one part of a business using the other one mm-hmm. which is very interesting and that can be a whole ep- podcast episode in itself but oh, yeah. commercial launches most popular and if i had to categorize my last five years covering space a lot of the missions i covered were random satellite missions but if you're covering a random spacex satellite mission you're getting the first landing of a rocket. You're getting the Mm -hmm. first reuse of a rocket. You're getting all these historic milestones against what are kind of routine satellite
1: deliveries. Yeah.
0: So having The first
1: landing was commercial. The first reuse was commercial.
0: Commercial, right. I guess you could
1: kind of say the Falcon Heavy demo flight was commercial because it was a SpaceX test.
0: Right.
1: ArabSat 6A, um, another Falcon Heavy, yeah.
0: Right. So these commercial launches actually provide a lot more circumstance and drama than you usually expect. And sometimes it's, you know, I, even little milestones like, oh, this is the hottest reentry they've done so far, you know?
1: Yeah, that's still a point of something Yeah, to note.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. And now we have fearing recoveries. And, you know, there was a couple expendable missions where they're like, all right, we need to see how hard this booster is going to hit the water. Yeah. You know what I mean? Things like that. And there was always a fun component to what would usually be seen as a boring satellite mission. For sure. Okay, so we have commercial, and right after that is military. Now, this speaks to the industry itself. In 2015, SpaceX sued the Air Force for fair competitive bidding against ULA, and you saw ULA go from having a monopoly on military missions to sharing that responsibility with SpaceX. And both mm-hmm. industry providers started launching produ- a lot of military missions, and SpaceX has done quite a few already. A Falcon Heavy STP2 was an Air Force yeah. mission. Yeah. You know? So these are it, this you know this data point right here shows you that space exploration is still largely driven by the military and the public sector. Yeah. and these companies like ULA and SpaceX, that is the meat of the dinner that is these contracts of the military are so lucrative and at times become the end all of their business
1: you yeah know? and i think it's worth noting that like these are technologies that help keep you know our troops safe in combat and by turn right. keep us safe and i believe just looking at the chart that i would have lumped the few gps missions that i've shot as military because they're military operated but it's a civilian usage at the end of it so you know, we can thank these launches for enabling GPS on our phones.
0: And I think a lot of, a lot of this speaks to disaster disaster recovery as well and for sure. communications and crisis engagement and things like exactly. that. Number three on this list. So the military, you had 26 and then right under that space station, num- that's 22. So let me go ahead and guess this. You did CRS 5? to 20 for spacex and that's 14 launches plus 10 ula slash northrop
1: it's i don't know the exact breakdown but i shot crs6 i did not shoot seven i was out of town well seven Um, doesn't count i guess i wouldn't have counted that anyway (laughs) although i would have actually i will say i would have counted that as a launch Mm -hmm. toward my total count but that's a it doesn't matter it didn't happen but, just,
0: just a reminder to our listeners: CRS seven exploded. In flight mm-hmm. after a minute and a half or something.
1: So I shot CRS six, did not shoot seven, and then I mm-hmm. shot eight through twenty. Mm-hmm. I shot two Antares. I shot a couple, maybe three Atlases going to the station, mm-hmm. and I count both demo one and two as space station. There's another category below. Uh, called, I forgot about
0: those two. Yeah, called okay.
1: demo slash test, but I consider. Uh-huh demo on a space station mission because it obviously went to the station
0: okay so i wasn't too far off then yeah okay yeah i see now you have the demo tests so okay so when it comes to the demo tests, you have dm1 dm2 because dm2 made it to the space station
1: no i don't count either of those as tests i count those as space station missions
0: oh so they're counted as space station. so demo
1: and tests are in flight abort orion okay. ascent abort 2 and the first uh, falcon heavy mission
0: wow okay that makes a yeah. lot more sense okay so the the two the dm missions that made it to space station are counted under yeah. space station obviously I, okay i
1: guess you could have also counted those as tests but i i wanted yeah the well, that's primary the one the category yeah. yeah
0: yeah okay and demo test falcon heavy what were the other two
1: in flight abort and orion ascent abort, abort okay. two. which it was hard to break all this down i could have yeah. had more categories. Especially with weather and Earth, because I count the GOES satellites as weather, and then I count one mission, which was actually my first, Falcon 9 Discover. That was Mm -hmm. an Earth-monitoring thing, so I just lumped those into one thing. They're kind of all observing Earth, so I counted them as weather and Earth as one category.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Now, what's this last category here, NASA
1: comms? It's a TDRS mission. Ah, I remember that I, mission. I could have counted that as military, I guess, but I thought it deserved its own category. No, was,
0: it was. this the mission where we all visited the spacecraft, and then like the next day, someone broke it?
1: I believe so. Although I will say, <laughs> I was not there. I've never done a clean room event, so I cannot. Yes, believe. that's right. So you're
0: you're not a suspect, but
1: <laughs> yeah, me and Tom Cross are. Yeah, because we were
0: there, and you were there. I remember we were there during the day. And we started hearing from sources that night that the satellite was broken. or the you know, And we, we heard there was an incident, and obviously it was one of the workers, not anyone who visited. And I yeah. do remember that mission being delayed by a little bit because of that. I
1: think maybe two or three weeks, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was a couple of weeks for sure. Memories.
1: All right. Now, out of
0: all this data, I think I might have asked you this on the last podcast we did, but just remind us. What was the most... I won't say your favorite. What was the most interesting of these missions?
1: I think the answer I gave was Falcon Heavy 1 for that Mm -hmm. first flight. And I, I think I could stick to that just in terms of it was sort of the first very big mission I covered. It's the most press I've ever seen at one mission. At the time, it was the biggest sort of new thing. So I'll stick to that. But having just shot Demo 2, it's worth a mention. Just there's something profound about seeing the rocket on the pad in the distance knowing there's people on it and then three minutes later it's out of your sight and it's in space it's just weirdly profound i still can't believe that launch happened yeah i feel like with the kind of limited coverage and everything it kind of just happened it it, it, it It was was weird it faded in the protests and everything just it sort of other stuff took precedent
0: When I think about my career, too, and just the last five years, I can't help but think that Falcon the first Falcon Heavy was still the most, I don't know what it was about the mission. I think a lot of it was the fanfare and the fact that tens of thousands of people showed up at the Space Coast to witness it. The fact that it was just like a car and and a mannequin. I don't know. It was all these very strange, particular things about the mission that made it so crazy to cover you
1: know and there's a few other things i think retroactively the fact that it was overwhelmingly a success i mean they didn't recover the center core but whatever i mean it still sent the payload up everything i think the fact that it went on the first try when everyone was here kind Uh of added to it because all the journalists that flew here could still kind of cover it on site because it went on the first try so another unbelievable thing and i
0: think one of the reasons too was because elon was telling people the damn thing was going to explode
1: yeah, I think he really did think there was a chance it would yeah, explode. Yeah.
0: So that added some drama. And like I said, not to downplay the Crew Dragon mission, but Falcon Heavy, we people were allowed to be there for it. And that, and that's the thing about space. It's like the, the excitement comes from participating in it and being part of the mission and, and, and being out there to watch the launch. And I'm hoping that this next crew launch that we have at Cape Canaveral will be a lot more normal than what we had to experience last week. I um, think, but John, what do you think – in terms of like the, the Crew Dragon and the fanfare, do you think if the COVID restrictions are gone for the next launch, do you think we'll see a Falcon Heavy level atmosphere?
1: I think that's very likely, yeah. Although I will say the pandemic did not stop a lot of people from traveling to see this mission.
0: Myself, oh, yes, Totally
1: some coverage and photos and just anecdotes from friends, local friends who went out to see it themselves. Mm. People, people traveled to see this one despite the pandemic. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's oh. hard to
1: say if the next yeah. crew mission will sort of make up for this when I honestly mm. don't think there's really anything to make up for. People still came out and saw it.
0: They were out there. The traffic said everything. <laughs> so John, to wrap up this podcast, what are, what's coming down the road for you and for Supercluster? Yeah. Um, in terms of mission coverage for the rest of this year, what are you looking at?
1: There is one more stat I want to bring up that I think is very important to cover. Average days between launches in my five years of doing oh, it, yeah. total change. Right. 19.4 days average between shooting launches. That's, that's just crazy. insane.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, but, um, not, that's unprecedented yeah. in the long history of space.
1: Yeah. So in terms of stuff coming up, there's obviously the next crew mission, which mm. to be determined when exactly, but yes. that's going to be a big one with hopefully some better access, more and more Starlink missions. We got Mars 2020 coming right. up in about a month or so. So, if there's anything this else is- I'm missing? Feel free to, to chime in. But I'm just still going to be exciting from
0: DM2 and need to regenerate my brain. Cells. Yeah, but the next thing. I think for everyone, is Mars Perseverance, which, mm-hmm. crazy enough, is coming up in a month. <laughs> so yeah. I already have to make my way down to Cape Canaveral in a few weeks to get prepped for this and get ready. And, and I, looking at your number here for how many launches we'll have left in the year, it's quite a few. Yeah. I've been hearing from, you know, we're working on our launch tracker app and things like that. We're, we're starting to realize there's a lot of launches to, to program into the app. Oh yeah, and it's keeping us busy. So here's to covering every single damn launch that's coming up for the rest of 2020, and hopefully oh, yeah. we can cap. You know, uh, poetically, hopefully we can cap this year of launches with a launch that we cover normally,
1: uh, yeah. like Crew
0: Dragon or something, which would
1: hopefully be- so. Yeah, I think this pandemic and how it affects us is going to have yeah long lasting effects. I think it's going to be oh, yeah. around the changes- longer than people think.
0: Right, and the changes for us at Kennedy are going to be permanent. A lot of them yeah. are going to be permanent.
1: And I think sort of the officials that handle this stuff seeing how people's coverage is or people's coverage shaped in response to the pandemic, I think that might have some lasting effects right. on on coverage once things get normalized. So it's going to be interesting. And the biggest thing that will
0: have an impact on coverage is the election because all right uh, see you guys thanks for joining Bye, <laughs> by but yeah just i know i've worked at kennedy through a change in administration so have you things change yeah. they change yeah. dramatically so we're looking forward to that too <laughs> and um, yeah. Oh, whatever happens, open.
1: yeah open.
0: but thank you john and we'll have you back on the pod again soon hopefully for a milestone mission for sure uh, coming up Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. This conversation went much longer than we anticipated, but we're like glad to always. have John on like <laughs> always. And thank you for listening.